Hello and welcome to the Todd Pod. My name is Todd Lisenby. I am your host of the Todd Pod. And before we get to talking about football, both American and proper, with our guests today, let's thank our fine sponsors, MidFirst Bank, the Laser Light Skin Clinic, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Fire Lake Casino, and Oklahoma Ford Dealers. Don't forget to drive into your best in Oklahoma Ford Dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full lineup of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. The man with the best hair in Oklahoma is Eli Letterman, and he is my guest today. You can check his stuff out at EliLetterman.com, at SelloutCrowd.com, at Letterman on Twitter, and go subscribe on YouTube to The Letterman Jacket. Welcome in, Eli. How was this weekend down in Norman? You saw a tight one between the Sooners and the Knights. First, that was a flattering and fabulous introduction, but yes. I've practiced big- it. In the, in the, I practiced that in the mirror all night last night, that introduction. And it was worthwhile, fully. Thank you. It was, a, it was quite a weekend in Norman because we, we, we came back from the bye week, came back. Ultimately, it felt 14 days later, felt so distant. But back from OU, Texas, and we thought we were going to get a game that wouldn't be all that tight. That would be Oklahoma, now in the playoff hunt, six in the country, taking care of business. Well, UCF. Gave OU its best non-Texas challenge of the season, and and they they you know whether it was what UCF did or what Oklahoma was doing, the the Sooners' offense struggled, and UCF broke off its big plays and ultimately came down to Kendall Dolby and that big play on the two point conversion and keeping UCF out and taking the Sooners to seven and zero, but certainly a much closer shave than we expected. So this is an interesting case study now. As a fan, if you're an Oklahoma fan, you've got the one part, uh, you know, contingent of people that will say, hey, championship teams have to win games when they don't play well. The Sooners didn't play well. They figured out a way to win. That's all that matters. Build from it. I think that's what you're going to hear from Brent Venables and from the players as well, because that is the glass half full side of it. The glass half empty side is Oklahoma was exposed on Saturday that they're not a playoff caliber team. And, you know, UCF may have come close to upsetting them, but there's still a loss or two on that schedule because they're not there yet. So with that in mind, we're going to play a little game of just fine or freak out. So you tell me right now, Eli, the run game for Oklahoma, is it just fine or should Sooner fans freak out? I go kind of both ways here. I think the overall answer can be just fine, but with a side of freak out because the fact is Oklahoma got to 6-0. and against Texas, beating you know, all their, without much of a run game. They have not had a consistent run game all year. They entered the UCF game 77th in the country in yards per carry. A lot of that would come from Dylan Gabriel, their best performances, just like Texas. So they can, they've proven they can win games with a minimal run game. We saw on Saturday what it looked like when they've got a zero run game. They had nothing for the first three quarters until they kind of wore UCF down. And so that's the concern. However, Saturday came with Tawi Walker sidelined with a, an in-house suspension, as Brent Venables put it. Marcus Major, who led them in rushing, is playing with a shoulder injury. They were limited. I think we saw how bad it can look when the run game is, is completely non-existent. But I think you can also, if you're an OU fan, feel like Tawi Walker might come, will be back and can be a guy and, and probably their most consistent rusher of the year. There's talent behind him and that for what they need, which isn't all that much from this run game. They have it, but we saw just how thin the margins are over the weekend. So I think what I'm hearing from you is if they're all healthy, 
it's all good, right? Is that what I'm hearing? They've got everybody. I think they have enough guys to do what they need to do, which, once again, isn't much. This is an offense that will win games throwing downfield, will win games with Dylan Gabriel, whether it's throwing or running. They have plenty of wide receivers. They don't need a guy to go out there and rush for 160 yards. They just need, essentially, and sounds like a cliche, but a run game to keep defenses honest. And they've had that really, you know, again, thin margins. But when Tawi Walker and Marcus Major particularly have been on their game, they've had that. They, they were missing it entirely against UCF. And it's why the offense was stuck in the mud for, for three quarters, why they got booed off the field in the third quarter. And then once it flipped, it was the reason that OU started moving the ball when they needed to in the fourth. And that was the difference. And so to, to do what they want to do this year, win a Big 12 title game, maybe make the playoff, I don't think they need that bell cow guy, but they need somebody. And missing Tawi Walker hurt this week, that's for sure. But I think we know now just what it looks like when the run game goes from fine and adequate to completely non-existent. Don't you think it's a legitimate question, though, of if they're all going to be healthy, they're okay. When are they all going to be healthy and available? Well, that is a good question, and, and I do return, you know, they've said it all year. They're still looking for that guy. They're not, believe it or not, thrilled with how the run game has gone. Uh, so they are still searching. They want that lead running back to emerge. You know, you could say that the performance Marcus Major had, 18 carries, 82 yards with a, a banged-up shoulder, that's one thing that impresses you. You could look at what Tawi Walker's done all year, and many of us have been kind of banging the desk saying, He's been the guy. He's been their most consistent rusher. Or you could look to Gavin Sawchuk and say that he, you know, after a really rough start the other day, found his own. He's he's one of OU's most elusive running backs. Maybe this is the start for him, and maybe that's part of the story over the back half of the season is that he's one of them that that takes over. But I do think, as much as I just made it sound like it's it's okay, the run game is a liability. I think when they are fully healthy, they have enough. But as you pointed out. They didn't have it Saturday. They might not have it another day. That is when you're going to want one guy to be that guy, and they still don't know who that is. The Sooners were up eight late. They needed a two-point conversion stop to hold on to win 31-29 against Central Florida. They should have been up 14, Eli. They had two missed field goals in the first half, so I think Sooner fans have a legit question on their hands when it comes to the kicking game. Is everything just fine, or do you think they should freak out? Well, I'm sure there's, I know there's concern outside of that team building, and I'm sure within it there's concern too. However, Brent Venables stood by his kicker on Saturday, came out and said he's got all the confidence in in Zach Schmidt, confidence in what he's seen from Zach Schmidt in practice behind closed doors, that he is the guy. Now, we're talking about a kicker who's missed four of his last eight kicks, and and we saw it, you know, Saturday, missed wide, missed left. will continue to be, at least for the time being, until Zach Schmidt kind of gets back to his consistent self, a bit of a roller coaster, or at least something that OU fans are watching when he's lining up to kick. But I think he's going to be the guy. It's not a a time of year. You can't add somebody. They're going to need to lean on the kickers they have. And and from the sound of it, there's no consideration to make a change. So I think it's something to be concerned about, something to watch. But if you kind of look at uh, Zach Schmidt over, over two years, it's been fairly consistent, and I think that's got to be the hope. That's all you really can hope for is that he finds that consistency again. 
The good news is the punting game was good. Uh, Luke Elzinga was, dare I say, Turk-ish on Saturday. Thank you very much. I've been working on that one all weekend. (laughs) Uh, No, it's got to get better. Like you said, you can't just find a guy off the street. This isn't the NFL uh, where there's a waiver wire and you can pick somebody up on Wednesday like it's your fantasy football team. We don't know how good the backups are in this situation, uh, but it's something that you know could very well cost Oklahoma against a better team later this season let's talk about the defensive side of the ball uh the defense i don't think played poorly on saturday but you look up and it's now two straight performances where ou defensively has given up a hundred yard rusher uh teams have hit them for a couple big plays including the 87 yarder that central florida hit 86 87 whatever it was on the uh on the great little read option uh dump off pass so do you have any worry? Is everything just fine? Or is there any reason to freak out about the Oklahoma defense right now? I don't think it's freak out time yet. I think you'd, you'd look at it and say, man, you know, they have gotten hit with some big plays. Jonathan Brooks had from Texas had that big, long touchdown run late in the Texas game. Uh, they got hit on big plays Saturday, including Javon Baker's 86-yard touchdown. You referenced it. That's a concern. But I, I think Brent Venables and, and his staff would tell you, those are individual mistakes. Those are fixable. They're still doing a pretty good job of, of uh, takeaway yardage, but keeping teams largely out of the end zone. They were on their way Saturday to another, you know, what, what felt like a statement goal line stand until Jaron Kanick had the, the taunting penalty. I really think the strength of this defense is not in limiting opposing rushers to 60 yards or clamping down here or there it is simply that they are making it really hard to get into the end zone and as long as that holds up i think that's that's going to be their identity and i think that's going to work i think if if you ask brent venables he'd say if, if it takes 86 yard you know scores and beating us you know on a trick play that's pretty good and and when, when you consider what this defense was a year ago those being the places they're getting beaten i, I think is overall positive they've got to fix that i'm sure they're going to spend a lot of you know this week or the next time they see an offense that does things like a a gus malzahn offense does they'll work on that but on the whole i I think you still have to just be so encouraged with what they've done down to kendall dolby's tackle at the end of that game when they're in the red zone and defending the end zone they've had the answers and ultimately that's the crucial part don't forget also rj harvey who had i think think he finished Mm -hmm. with 101 on the day 54 of those were on one play as well on another big chunk play so you look at the other 20 carries it was right at two and a half a carry i'm with you i don't think there's any reason to freak out but that is again something that you know when you make a few mistakes when you miss a few field goals that can cost you and uh you know i just don't think oklahoma is good enough yet that there's a huge margin for error They got away with it on Saturday against the UCF team that I still don't think is very good. And I think there's a couple of teams on the schedule moving forward that you can't get away with playing like that. Perhaps coming up this weekend uh, in Lawrence, Kansas, against your favorite team, the Kansas Jayhawks, Eli. Let's look around the rest of college football. And I guess for the second straight week, we have to take a second to laugh at USC because Utah goes down the field at the end. Uh, I'm sure there was a lot of PTSD from Sooner fans watching a quarterback break off a big long run after dropping back to pass because there's nobody there at the second level and the rush lanes are horrible. Um, It was very Adrian Martinez. The only difference was uh, this was, you know, he was tackled down and then it was a a field goal kick. It wasn't to ice the game away at the end like Kansas State did. But Alex Grinch's defenses are horrible. 
USC is at two losses now with Oregon and Washington still on the schedule. Lincoln Riley didn't let his players talk to the media after the game. I mean, it is blowing up pretty magically for a lot of Oklahoma fans from the outside looking in there at USC, right? Well, the thing is, like, there's stuff that happens on the field and there's stuff that happens off of it. If Lincoln Riley doesn't have the guys on defense yet, it's been a bit of the story of his co- head coaching career. But like, I can I can swallow that, right? If you're if you're a USC fan, I'm sure you're disappointed. But you say you've got a great offense, but we just don't have the guys on defense yet, and clearly, maybe not the coordinator they want on defense, and that's its own thing. The aftermath: losing your second straight game, having your coach come out there and and kind of say we're really close, which I think Oklahoma fans heard a lot of. <laughs> at the end right. of Lincoln Riley's tenure and then, you know, hitting on the not putting players out in front of media and, and it's, it's less about access and whatnot. Us media will, will always, you know, sort of, we'll complain about that. And there's real ramifications for, for readers, for fans and, and disseminating information in that regard. But it's really just more about like, what does it say about the program and where they're at? If they're that worried about that after a loss, they're worried about the wrong things, and that is reflective of, again, the coach that many will say, you know, they saw in Norman and we've seen in, in South, uh, Southern California. When things are going against Lincoln Riley, they close down, they retreat, and you could say that about what we see on the field and off of it. What about the rest of the Big 12? You've got the Quinn Ewers injury at Texas. Texas, you know, has to escape against Houston. It looks very much... You know, last week we're talking about who's third in the conference, and right now three and four, however you want to put them, Oklahoma State and Kansas State both look really good and like teams that, you know, could sneak up and bite somebody. Oklahoma has one of them on the schedule in Oklahoma State. Texas has one of them on the schedule in Kansas State. What do you think about the league right now after kind of a weird weekend, Eli? It remains weird and kind of wide open. Oklahoma, I think it was paramount for a lot of reasons but getting that win and getting away from UCF still unbeaten was really important because now Texas dives into the back half of its schedule no Quinn Ewers they're they're fortunate because they're Texas they've got uh plenty of talent at quarterback Malik Murphy Arch Manning we'll see who we see Steve uh, Sarkeesian seemed to indicate he feels pretty good about either of those options but you never know. And you're right. Kansas State is better. We've seen wonky games. There, there are a lot of OU-UCF games going on around the conference where better teams are getting dragged down by teams you'd perceive to be less good. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun games over the back half of the season. And when you consider the fact that it's so tight at the top of the conference, that Texas now doesn't have its starting quarterback, I think a lot of possibilities open up. And I know we've been uh, basically assuming an OU-Texas rematch in the Big 12 title game, since the, basically since the final whistle at the Cotton Bowl, now I would still back Texas to be there, but things are opened up, and Oklahoma State looks better, Kansas State looks better, Iowa State's lingering. It could get very interesting the next month and a half. We know November is always a fascinating time of year, and it seems like the Big 12 is primed for just peak wonkiness. You know who you didn't mention? You mentioned Oklahoma State, Kansas State, mm-hmm. Iowa State. Oklahoma's opponent this weekend, Kansas, was hey. pretty recently ranked. Um, and we don't know what the quarterback situation is going to be there, but they're another team. Like They go and beat Oklahoma this week, and then they're right in the conversation, right? So there's more teams than I think we thought. I think two weeks ago we really were talking about 
a two horse race with maybe a third team. And the question was, who's the best third best team in the big 12. And it felt like a big gap. It might still be that way. I do think talent wise, Oklahoma and Texas are well ahead of the rest of the conference. Texas is probably the most talented team. That doesn't mean much. They've already lost a game, could lose more. They don't have their quarterback, but I think things are leveling out a bit and it, it really could set up for a fun back half of the year. Uh, what, what do you think about Washington's struggles on Saturday, Eli? It's funny. I felt like the weekend before was such a good weekend, or really the two weekends before this past weekend were great weekends of college football. You had the uh, OU Texas, you had that Washington Oregon game, all that. If you'd have told, I, after that Washington Oregon game, I would have said to you, I can't imagine that Washington could play 60 minutes with Michael Penix and not score like 35 points. Right. And then they throw up a stinker of their own. Oklahoma struggles. Texas struggles. Uh, Alabama just seems to find ways to win, but like they struggled. Even even Florida State was slow out of yeah. the gate against Duke. It was just a weird. I don't. I mean, there's nothing that connects all these games across the country, but it does feel like there's there's some weekends where there's a theme among the top teams in the country. Even uh, Ohio State, Penn State. That was never going to be a barn burner off uh, off- offensively. But that was bad offense and a lot of good defense and just weird football. So that that seemed to define the weekend. Maybe you give a pass then to Oklahoma and Washington and teams like that. Or it's just a wake-up call that as good as we think these teams look at their very best. And for, for Washington, that was taking out Oregon. For Oklahoma, it was Texas. And really that final drive against Texas, everyone in the country, it feels like is flawed. And maybe that's the lesson to take away, that nobody's perfect. Uh, Georgia certainly isn't, not with Brock Bowers out. Michigan, not only do they have some off-field stuff going on now, but who have they played is a, is a really reasonable question. I don't know if there's anybody, anybody in college football that is like the runaway best team in the country, which again presents itself to me that the next month and a half is going to be a blast. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, speaking of Michigan, who's your favorite pro football team? I can't remember. I'm a fan of the New England Patriots. Oh, so you're any the perfect you guy to ask. You're the perfect guy to ask then, Eli Letterman. What do you think about Spygate at Michigan <laughs> since you are so well-versed in this topic? Well, um, here's something funny to acknowledge. You know who came down? And I, I'm the Patriots and Spygate, like they absolutely did what they did. Deflategate's a different conversation. We can have that on another day. Uh, but the people who are most critical of the Patriots and the whole Spygate stuff, we're the Harbaugh's, the whole family. And there is that vibe at Michigan of we succeed and we do it doing things above board. We are perfect and all that. And here you go. The, the same program that's in trouble for buying recruits hamburgers is now in trouble for something what, what appears to be a lot more serious. Um, and, you know, if you tune into the Letterman Jacket this week, you and I hit on, you know, sign stealing. It's a part of the game. I think any coach who has been in this sport would tell you it's part of it. But from what we're hearing out of Michigan, having a former Navy SEAL or Naval Academy grad on staff, buying tickets to other games and having a network of family members recording signs, this went well, well beyond the pale. Um, and unfortunately for Michigan, right or wrong, it does, it'll, it'll begin to at least put cast some doubt over everything they've done over the last few years. The best part about it is you know Jim Harbaugh is going to do the, oh, shucks, I didn't know nothing. He's going to do that routine 
just over and over and over again. And much like, uh, you know, ironically, Bill Self at Kansas, I think they're just going to go, well, we can't really prove anything. Maybe he didn't know anything and nothing's, you know, more than likely going to happen from it. So uh, it is pretty funny, though. Some of the photoshops of like Jim Harbaugh with the binoculars on his face or the night vision goggles are all pretty good. Uh, it makes for good jokes, especially when it happens to Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. He's one of those that's just a little bit too good to be true with his little khaki style and everything. So I think there's a, a good chunk of college football fans that enjoy that. All right, let's move on to proper football and pulling hold on, back. Hold on. I've got one more point just on the Michigan deal. Okay. Point is, like, as much there's so there are jokes to be made, right? And there's like, what's going to happen tangibly on this college football season? We're talking about a national title contender. Maybe a national title favorite with like a Heisman favorite at quarterback, all that. We don't know when this will get settled. This is going to hang over the whole college football playoff. Everything that happens between now and early January, this will be a part of that. And I do, I had to note it just because I think that like this is a huge story. I don't know how big, big of a deal sign stealing is and whatever happened, but there's no doubt that as long as there's an open NCAA investigation, into sign stealing at one of the contenders at the top of college football. It's going to be a huge story. It's going to hang over the Wolverines. It'll hang over everything. And it, it, Oklahoma may be part of that story. And that's a fascinating deal here. I agree with you. It is a big story. I think stories are always the biggest right when they happen. And then the more games get played, the more we forget about them. So I don't know how big of a story it'll be at the end of the year. Hell, I don't know if Michigan's going to get through their schedule undefeated. They've still got to go to Penn State and have Mm -hmm. Ohio State at the end of the schedule as well. They may not even be in the Big Ten championship game. So we'll see how it all plays out. Um, You know, if you're one of those people that just wants chaos, keep keep hoping Michigan wins because the more they win, the more chaotic the situation gets with this story. All right, let's look at some proper football because as we pull back the curtain today, we are recording this and you just watched. I mean, just watched. Your Tottenham Hotspur go back to the top of the table with a win over Fulham. So I'm going to let you wax poetically, Eli, about Ange Ball, which on October 23rd, as we record this, is top of the table in the English Premier League. I mean, here we are, top of the table. It feels so good. Uh, now I know what you've felt like for the last like seven years as a city <laughs> supporter, right? Uh, it feels a lot better in May, let me just say that. That's like dreamland, man. Let me just have this in October. Lay off. Lay off. Uh, Because the fact is, Spurs don't spend a lot of time at the top of the table. Uh, It was only like eight months ago. They felt like they were, they weren't, but it felt like they were at the bottom of the table, might never win a game again. So the vibes are exceptionally improved. And so is the football, the proper football at Tottenham Hotspur. And that's just fun. We'll see if this hangs on top of the table. Who knows? I think top four this year would be a massive accomplishment. But the, the real important part is it's fun again. They're playing really exciting soccer. Uh, tactically, it's really interesting. Goals from Hungman's son and James Madison, that'll do for me. If they win Friday, we'll see when this goes out, when people are listening. If they win Friday against Crystal Palace, they will enter the weekend five points clear at the top of the table. I don't believe in my decade supporting Tottenham. They have been anywhere near there. And so that's where I'm at. We'll see how long it lasts, but that's where I'm at right now. Well, and and five points clear top of the table. And as we'll get into later, the Manchester Derby coming up this weekend as well mm-hmm. at Old Trafford. It's not exactly an easy three points 
for Man City. So over the weekend, uh, Arsenal coming off the win against Man City, they play a 2-2 draw against Chelsea. Chelsea gets up 2-0, two late goals for Arsenal to rescue a point. It's so weird right now, uh, Eli, because Chelsea have kind of that vibe of like, oh, I don't know, like 2008-9 Nebraska, where you go win at Nebraska and you're like, eh, was that really a good win? They used to be really good. You know what I mean? So for Arsenal to go there and get a 2-2 draw, if I would have told you seven years ago, three years ago, Arsenal went to the Emirates and got a – or to uh, the Stamford Bridge and got a 2-2 draw, you would have said nice result. So as you look at it, it's going to feel like a point earned because they were down 2-0. But is this one of those results where – you know, it feels maybe as we get more uh, hindsight, as we get further along in the season, that we'll look back and go, yeah, that was two points lost there for Arsenal. I mean, a disclosure, you can see what shirt I'm wearing, which actually makes me the most neutral of all because I don't know who I feel more strongly about other than Ars- between Arsenal and Chelsea. But I think for Arsenal, they've sort of had a season thus far. It's still very early. The same context we speak about Tottenham in of great, you're high early, it's October. Arsenal, there's a long way ahead, but it seemed like they haven't had great performances. They've got they've gotten results. They're near the top of the table, uh, depending on where things stand after the, the games now. But they haven't had they've had a lot of fine performances, not very impressive performances. And this fell back in with that of you know it's a Chelsea team that is all over the place. There's plenty of talent there, plenty of money spent, but all over which maybe makes them liable to someday show up when you've got $200 million and you're starting 11. But the fact is, this is a mid-table Chelsea team that went up 2-0 and it, it required you know a funky goal from Reece, uh, excuse me, not Reese James, uh, Declan Rice, and then you know the, a Leandro Trossard win, uh, equalizer to just get back in there. So I don't, you know, it's a good point and point, a point at Stanford Bridge historically is big. But when you're talking about where these teams land in the league in 2023-24, Arsenal should have been the club there up 2-0 and, and that it was Chelsea throwing points away um, maybe speaks to where things are at right now. Um, but I'll say this, I've been very much so not on the Mikhailo Mudrik train. Good for him. Nice goal, all that. Um, you do feel bad for a guy with all the pressure that's been put on him and, and the price tag he arrived with. Well, I know a couple things. Number one, you know, like City just lost, uh, what, two weeks ago to Wolves. Uh, you know, they lost last year in their title winning campaign at Nottingham Forest. So it's not, it's not crazy that you go on the road and lose matches to teams that are bottom of the table or close to. And Chelsea's better than bottom of the table. Talent-wise, they are, you know, probably closer to the mid-table and top of the league, but they are still in that top half when it comes to talent. So it's not... It's not a horrible result to get that draw. I just think in general, and maybe maybe I'm also biased against Arsenal because I'm a Man City fan, and that is you know, Man City's toughest competition, I think, coming into this year. I feel like, <clears throat> I feel like we haven't <clears throat> seen the clear ascension from Arsenal that I said coming into the year, the clear Thank ascension from you. Arsenal that I expected to see, right? I mean, I, it feels like there's been a lot more of a plateau right now. And maybe that's good because last year they peaked way too early and we saw the kind of tail off at the end. Maybe right now they're just, you know, building into what's going to be a good December, January. But I, right now Arsenal is leaving, uh, has left a little bit to be desired for me. 
I think that's the way to view it. I, I think there's such a risk, and this can apply to um, everyone from Oklahoma football right now. We'll, we'll be talking Thunder here pretty soon, uh, and it's early on the Thunder, but never assume that championship windows are going to stay open forever, right? I mean, yep. that was maybe a belief here in Oklahoma City, you know, in the early part of the 2010s with, with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. But for Arsenal, like last year, they had a real shot at the title. It was there for them. Ultimately, you know, a, a bigger, better club with that was deeper that year beat them. And beating Manchester City the last five, six, seven years is almost, they, they have made it so that to beat them, you've got to be perfect and nobody's perfect. However, I think there was a real risk in not taking advantage last year if you were Arsenal because there's not, there's no guarantee you get back to that point. And I do think, you know, you can, we'll see how their summer signings pan out, but you spend the money on who they spend it on. Kai Havertz has been good, but not probably $65 million good. And so on from there, it's not hard to hit that plateau or to even drop off from the year before. It's so early, but I, I really do, I, I think that's at least the fear. Even messing with the goalkeeper situation, right? David David Raya for for Aaron Ramsdale. Arteta created an an issue there that didn't exist before, and it, it we always it feels like every podcast returns to the quarterback situation in Stillwater. But when you've got more than one goalie, you're you're in a, a very you you introduce something very interesting, and it it seems to me that there's a, at least a few elements that could be off kilter at Arsenal that might be leading to where they are. I don't want to talk all about Man City. They had a 2-1 win over the weekend. It was a pretty gritty win against Brighton. It wasn't pretty, but it's a lot like Oklahoma UCF, one of those ones that uh, if you're going to win a title, you have to win, especially at home. But Man City, Man United, the Manchester Derby coming up this weekend. It was announced on Saturday uh, during the early morning matches that Sir Bobby Charlton had passed away, the Manchester United legend. I believe he was 86 years old. Um, you know, I know that, that you and I obviously did not follow Sir Bobby Charlton's career. We haven't followed the sport for that long, but we, as people who, you know, love sports, also love sports history. And historically, he was a pretty special fellow in, uh, in the sport of soccer. So for those that maybe don't know who Sir Bobby Charlton was or what he was all about, instead of me just reading you his Wikipedia, Eli, let's come up with what are some American sports equivalents to Bobby Charlton, uh, the uh, longtime Manchester United manager that passed this weekend. Well, that's a hard one. Only, let, well, let me give let me give a, just a bit of a platform on him because he is everyone. When you think of the best you know soccer nations in the world, England comes up always. He's probably the greatest and most accomplished English soccer player of all time that we're talking about here. Won the World Cup in 1966, last time England did that. Um, and he was a star at Manchester United at, at a time where soccer was in a very different place. But star at Manchester United will always be a star at Manchester United. He also was 20 years old when he was on a plane in 1959. It's considered the darkest day in Manchester United's history. Uh, the, the Munich plane crash, right? Uh, 23 people on that plane died, including eight teammates of Bobby Charlton's. He was 20 years old, already on a meteoric rise. And then he recovered from that both physically and, and emotionally and everything else to remain not only one of the best players uh, in the world, but the history of, of, the, of a nation. And he led them to a World Cup seven years later. And he went on to, to have a role in the game long, long after his playing career. 
He was knighted, uh, a goal of mine some days to be knighted uh, by by the you know the, the queen or king of England. We'll see. I've got a lot, I've got a lot of work to do, but Sir Eli is, Letterman does have a nice ring to it. I think that would work. I would take Eli Letterman OBE, but you know, yeah, any of them yeah. will work. Well, Point here's is, the it, other thing too. Here's the other thing too, Eli. He played 14 years at Manchester United. That's his career history. He did not play anywhere else, right? He didn't do like right. Leo Messi and go to PSG and then come play in, you know, the NASL or something like that, like Pele did. He played his entire career at Manchester United. So it feels just, it felt worth giving that full platform before we start making comparisons Imagine in America. Imagine if Nick Collison was Tom Brady and survived a plane crash. That's the best comparison you could make, really, right? <laughs> I just kind of came up with that one. But the, he kind of has all those things, doesn't he? Yeah, I guess, you know, I'm trying to think. I mean, in a sense, like who, who's our greatest American Olympian? Is it Michael Phelps? Because in that sense, Bobby Trout sure. on the world stage. I, you know, it's a, a bit apples to oranges, but um, he's every, you know, he's a little bit LeBron James, a little bit Michael Phelps, um, a little bit Tom Brady before he left for Tampa Bay in, in terms I, of staying. You know, the one, one comparison I saw that was really good. How about this one? Bill Russell. There you go. His no, entire career good. with one team, just like Russell did. Went on to coach for Boston, just like Bobby Charlton was always around Manchester United mm-hmm. after his playing career. I think that might be the best comparison and put into perspective how big a loss it was for the world of soccer on Saturday. That said, emotions are going to be amazing at Old Trafford on Saturday. The tributes are going to be awesome before the match for Sir Bobby Charlton. Uh, how do you see this one playing out? Because this could be a win that kind of turns the season around for Eric Ten Hag and Manchester United. And for Manchester City, they can't afford to lose many more matches if you're going to be in the title race the way it's gone the last few years. This would be three losses out of four if they go into Old Trafford and can't get a victory. I mean, gosh, you can't fall far too far behind Tottenham, right? You'd be That's true. Cutting your nails. Uh, I think this is a big one. You can, you can speak better to how much of a leveler this rivalry game is. We'll be talking about Oklahoma, Oklahoma State in a few weeks, but it tends to be rivalry games no matter where teams are at will level the playing field that might be a factor here perhaps it it's all so relative at manchester city a slide is like two losses uh in three games but you know if maybe the slide continues i just don't have the faith in this manchester united team right now to do much of anything to disrupt a well-organized superiorly talented side like manchester city I, i i think they'll go in there and be fine as a city fan as a citizen Where's your confidence level at? Where's your, your nervousness at? Is it just about who's healthy and, and making sure the right guys are out there? Or do you see larger cracks? I thought I would never be more nervous in my life than watching the FA Cup last year when City was going for trophy number two of three against Manchester United. And Ilkay Gundogan scored in like 12 seconds and the nerves were kind of settled. Um, it was still pretty nervy in the second half uh, before Man City got the winner. That was somehow multiplied by a thousand for the last 20 minutes in Istanbul when City were holding on to the lead against Inter Milan in the Champions League. So I feel like I have lived the two most nervous moments I'll ever have as a sports fan. So anymore, I don't, I'm always worried. I'm never really nervous. I just expect the worst. <laughs> that's that's kind of how I operate as a fan. I expect the worst. It's the best way to be a Packers fan right now. And 
even though Man City have been very very blessed recently, yeah, I feel on. like hold on. I need to interrupt you. What? This just for if you say you're a huge college football fan who tuned in for the first half of this pod and has has stumbled in the back half. This is like listening to a New York Yankees fan or an Alabama football fan talk about close calls in the last eight years. No, th- that this is my point. I expect the worst because I know that I deserve the worst with how lucky <laughs> I've been the last eight years as a Man City fan. So if the worst happens, I, I will have that perspective on it that, hey, I've been very lucky as a fan. It's the same with the Packers well, this year. That's reasonable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. I'm, all, I'm nothing if not reasonable. <laughs> Eli, you are nothing if not my favorite guest, the beautifully coiffed hair of Eli Letterman joining us today on the Todd Pod. Before we go, Eli, tell everyone what you got going on this week over at EliLetterman.com and uh, SelloutCrowd.com. Eli-Letterman.com, right? There you go. Well, I will be in Lawrence this weekend. Sooners will be in Lawrence this weekend. In the lead-up, had something out on Caleb Schaefer, who uh, made his first start on OU's offensive line, the Miami-Ohio transfer. Fascinating guy. Maybe a perk of the transfer portals. We're just getting really interesting people landing on different campuses each fall. Uh, but past that, I'll something on Nick Anderson, who's on a torrid pace, perhaps one of the most impressive wide receiving seasons in, in Oklahoma history. And then I'm going to dive in on Zach Schmidt, dive into those kicking troubles, see where the Sooners are at in the back half. That is what I'll have. Todd, you're going to New York, man. Yes, I am. I'm going to New York. Uh, before we get out of here, I have to ask you, Eli, what's the mm-hmm. do and don't for New York? What? Tell me what I got to stay away from, what I got to do. Is this your first time in New York? First proper time. I don't want right. to tell the story's too long, but I basically rode a bus in, was there for New Year's Eve, rode a bus out the next morning. Oh, you told me that. You've been to more yeah. New Year's Eves in New York yeah. City than I have. Uh, yeah. I'd say as a native New Yorker, do it all right the first time. Go to Times Square. Go do it. You got to do it so that the next time you can go back, you can hit all the, you know, less touristy spots. But go live it up. I know you're hitting Broadway. I'm excited for that. You got to go eat some pizza. Just don't do not send me a selfie from Sabaro. I won't. I won't <laughs> engage. I won't engage on that. Right. I but promise you, I'll hit Bleecker Street up for you. Just go have a blast. Uh, my real tip: it, it's on the on the scale of touristy things. It, it's up there, but the High Line, the old, uh, it's a walking trail on the old elevated rail system, is worthwhile. It's a cool deal. So, right. Todd, you well, or anyone else visiting New York, go check it out. Hey, you'll be there in December when Dylan Gabriel's getting handed the Heisman. I was going to say, this is a, a scouting trip, and you, yeah. you, you will have always been the guy who said it first, Dylan I, Gabriel I Heisman. might go by the downtown athletic club and leave you like mm-hmm. a little uh, a little kite or something, like one of those little notes that you there can you unroll later that has some you sort of message if for you. If you leave a message in a bottle on a New York City sidewalk <laughs> in mid-October, I'm sure it'll still be there in early December. I'll find it. It might be. It might be. I'm not 100% sure. Eli, I appreciate it as always. Don't forget, if this is your first time to check out the Todd Pod, you can always subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked what you heard, leave us a good review. If you hated what you heard, we would love for you to leave, or we'd hate for you to leave us a bad review. So don't do that, please. If you hated what you heard, don't leave a bad review. Uh, so yeah, that's go review. Give us a <laughs> thumbs up, all that good stuff here on the Todd Pod. And hey, check this out. We got merch at selloutcrowd.com selloutcrowd.com you can go get some merch i highly recommend this hoodie i promise you it's gonna feel a lot better especially come uh january february than that shirt that eli's wearing right now i promise you that especially when you consider the standings coming Hmm. up at that time of Hmm. the year 
Eli, thanks as always, buddy. Thanks to Jacqueline Musgrove, our producer on this, our creative director, Michael Lane, as well. And thanks most of all to you for listening to the Todd Pod. Mm-hmm.